Tim. Thank you, praise team. And uh, let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. You can turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. You can take that home with you. And uh, you can also go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians as well. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you can tell, we're talking about God's power in our weakness. And of course, we had a little bit of a uh, pause for a second as we celebrated together in the gospel with our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, with our Festival of Nations, but now we have returned into 2 Corinthians. And as you're turning in your Bibles there, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8. But as you're turning there, it's interesting how we live life, because in so many ways, the difficulties of life teach us who we can rely on. That as we walk through hard circumstances or difficult moments or difficult things in our lives, it teaches us along the way the reliability of the ones in whom we trust. And then while we can see that on display in a thousand different ways in our own lives, in our own families, in our own workplaces, in all areas of human life, how much more so can we see this as reason to rely and depend upon the God who raises the dead? So grab your copy of God's Word and read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, and we'll read down through verse 11, and this is what we read. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, that as we Read your word as we study your word, and Lord, by your spirit, you teach us your word. Father, we pray that just as this text articulates in verse 11, Father, that our hearts would give thanks as we watch you do a work of grace in our hearts and lives as we trust you together now. Open our eyes, Lord, to see that we worship We approach, we know, through faith in Jesus Christ, we know the God who raises the dead. Lift up our eyes to behold you in all of your splendor and glory, that we may know you, that we may trust you, and that we may live lives that display your resurrection power. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his great glory. Amen. As we come back into 2 Corinthians, as we see, we think about, you know, the compelling introduction and the wonderful necessity of grace and peace, as we saw it described there in verse 2. And then we talked about the God of all comfort, who not only works out His comfort in our own lives, but we also see how we have hope, and the hope that we have is unshakable hope in Christ. But see, it's, it's helpful to see, even within the context here, that he's actually explaining the reasons that we have for relying not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead, that is, in fact, our unshakable hope. But he has to start off by articulating the bad situation 
and the reality of the details of life. Because he says in verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He knows just like we know. People like the news. People take an interest in the news. You talk about the news and you probably have things that came into your mind that you probably looked up this morning. Maybe you turned on the TV, maybe you got on the phone, whatever it is that you did. We like the national news, we like the local paper, we like the news when you come in and you're at the shop counter and people are just talking, you're like, I wonder what they're talking about. We want to get the news, what's going on? We like to be informed, we want to be in the know. He's saying, look, I want you to be aware. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters in Christ, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I don't want you to be unaware of what's taken place, of what's gone on, because it's the bad news that precedes the really good lesson here. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. It's interesting, even as we think about our own, conception, or our own uh, consumption of news, we pay particular attention to the bad news, don't we? I mean, we can say it's somebody else's fault and all they do is feed us the bad news, but we keep watching it. There's something about it. It just sticks in our minds. And of course, as we talk about the affliction that the Apostle Paul and his travel companions suffered and experienced in Asia... He doesn't specifically articulate what that was, whether he's talking about Acts 19 and his arrival in Ephesus and the subsequent riots that took place and the death threats associated with that. We don't know if he's making reference to what he later talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with the beatings and the stonings and the danger and the hunger and the thirst and the anxiety of it all. All we know is he doesn't want, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that was experienced. And see, at some point as we read this, we start to ask questions. He's like, I want you to know about how bad the situation was. And at first we're like, why do you want me to know this? What is it that I'm supposed to glean from your bad news? What is it that I'm supposed to learn from what you're trying to tell me here? There's got to be something. But he goes on to say, he says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It's interesting, the, the phrase that's translated there, utterly burdened, is the, word, is the Greek word from which we get hyperbole. It's actually the word hyperbole in, in Greek. It's like, so abundantly beyond what we could even think possible. It's beyond imagination. It's beyond what you could have thought. The seemingly exaggerated, except it's not. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. It's like the worst case scenario actually got worse. That feeling of being stuck and trapped and overwhelmed and unable. And many in here may feel that right now. That's what you walked in here with. And perhaps it's on account of following Christ. You thought it was going to be smooth sailing and walking with Christ and being his disciple. And yet all of a sudden, the whole notion of taking up your cross and denying yourself and following Jesus. And it's hard. And it's like, it just seems like everywhere I turn, there's no way out. There's no, there, where's, the, where's the help here? He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That life in this fallen world will display and show weakness, even though we don't like to admit it. 
We don't like, as we grow older, having to rely on the children that we once were raised. We don't like having to admit, I can't do this anymore. As you think of your own strength and you think of all the things that you've done in the past, and it's so hard to get to that point where you say, I can't. And the words are painting this vivid picture of almost like a boat that's overladen and about to sink, or even like a car that's overloaded, and it's like the bumper is dragging on the ground, and you need gas, and you got nothing left. Life eventually will bring us to the point where we recognize and realize, I need more than my own strength. That's not a bad place to be if you turn to Christ. That's where we're being led here. But see, it doesn't deny the reality of how hard life can actually be. He says, we despaired of life itself. The word from which we get exasperated. It's like some of the football teams yesterday where they showed up on the field and they looked across the field and they're like, we're dead already. Got to the fourth quarter, it's like, we got nothing left. And the absolute frustration that's there. And life gets us here. And it can look hopeless and it can feel hopeless. It can feel like there's no way out. But there's something that we need to learn here. Because why would God allow the Apostle Paul to go through all of this? And why is it necessary for us to learn this and to not be unaware? He says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That within ourselves, this sort of internal struggle, there are times when you just have to tearfully admit, I can't do this. And it feels like the sentence of death, as he describes it, pronounced upon himself. The only possible outcome, the only way out of this is death. This is the Apostle Paul here. This is the Apostle Paul who's laying down his life for the advance of the gospel. You can imagine the first time they read this out loud, they're reading this in the Corinthian church, they're like, this sounds terrible. Despairing of life itself. But if we're watching and seeing how God takes the Apostle Paul and teaches him through this, that it's understandable for us to recognize that God will use our circumstances to unravel our own self-reliance in order to bring us to rely upon the God who raises the dead. See, if we're honest, that's how we first met Christ. We had to come to an end of ourselves in the crater of our own labors and all the things in which we were like, well, well, I'm I'm just going to do enough to get me by. And we recognize that it's never enough. We need Christ to save us. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves. And there's no assurance in ourselves. So we had to cry out in absolute desperation, God, save me and raise me from the dead. And he did if you trust in Christ as Savior and Lord today. We need this. This is We're not being taught here to become ever increasingly more self-reliant. We're being taught to trust God even when life is at its worst. 
to trust that our God is providential. That he's ruling over our circumstances even to the degree that he's teaching us through them. And see, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is dealing with, and we get to this later on in 2 Corinthians, is that a lot of the false teachers were looking at the suffering of the Apostle Paul and being like, see, look at what he's having to go through. He must not be legitimate at all. Your difficulty is not the gauge of your faithfulness. What do you do with it is the question. We got to stop looking at the difficulty and the struggle and the hardships and the despair even in our own lives and look at it and say, well, what am I doing wrong? The world is broken. There is suffering and there is hardship and that is reality. So instead of looking at our circumstances and saying, what am I doing wrong? Lift your eyes to God and say, what do I need to learn here? What are you teaching me? How can I trust and rely upon you who raises the dead? Trusting self is not the answer. But look at what is. We felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely... Not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Life is full of teachable moments. And in fact, you could go ahead and say, life is a teachable moment. All of it. Every detail. And that difficulty will grab our attention in a way that ease does not. Because you can sit there... And stroll through social media while you're laying on the couch with a bag of chips in your lap. And not have a, you could sit there for an hour. And then you could come to the end of the hour and not have a clue in the world of what, what you just read. What you just looked at. All you know is you got greasy fingers. But when difficulty shows up. When that loved one of yours gets that obscure diagnosis and you're sitting in the doctor's office with them you may not have any medical training you may not have a medical degree but you're sure enough going to be an expert in whatever's going on in in a few minutes you're going to pay attention to every nuanced syllable that comes out of the doctor's mouth why because all of a sudden the difficulty grabbed your attention in a way that the ease did not can't we see that our good god is teaching us not to rely on ourselves because he's our good God. Rescuing us from this notion of us just looking at everything and saying, oh, well, I'll do it. Now, we need to be careful here because we're not being taught to do nothing. Trusting the Lord doesn't mean just giving up and laying around in your pajamas and looking at God and saying, oh, well, he'll deal with it. We're being called and directed to proactively trust and rely in God who raises the dead. Because self-reliance is so dangerous. When we just want to drum up our own wisdom and our own strength and our own will. We want to save ourselves and grow ourselves, bear forth fruit in our own lives and do our own thing with holiness. Could it be that God has great things to teach us about himself through the difficulty? Yes! Things that we will need to pay attention to about his sustaining love and his enduring grace and his endless mercy. And that knowing God is not some sort of theoretical exercise. We are knowing God who is our relational God. 
we are being taught not to trust on ourselves. But on God who raises the dead. It's amazing. Even thinking about this, we think about, okay, what great displays and expressions of power, right? And as soon as we start to use those, those sorts of words, especially power, you think of things like lightning. You know, okay, well, a lightning bolt, when it strikes, it's something like 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's five times hotter than the surface of the sun. That's a lot of power. Or you think about tsunamis and uh, the power of the ocean. You can you know, read stories about tsunamis coming in and, and taking 22-ton boulders and pushing them 600 feet inland or picking up 11-ton tractors and just washing them out to sea. You're like, that's a lot of power. You think of power in terms of even nuclear weapons and that a one-megaton nuclear bomb would destroy 80 square miles. That's a lot of power. But isn't it interesting that the greatest display of power isn't actually destructive? It's redemptive. It doesn't take life, it gives it. It's the God who raises the dead. Look at Him. God's resurrection power gives life. Where there was sin and death and we were just wallowing in our own destruction, He brings the conscience to life. He brings conviction. He brings repentance. He brings faith to life. We trust that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead. He brings hope to life. He brings peace to life, joy to life, and all that is necessary is done for our salvation. It's God who raises the dead. It's amazing how, how often we need this reminder. Did the Corinthian church need this reminder a lot? What did he do in 1 Corinthians 15? It's the longest chapter about the resurrection in the whole Bible. We need reminders of this resurrection hope. Jesus bore our sin. He died a real death. He endured the real wrath of God against our sin. He really did die and say it is finished. And three days later, he really rose from the dead. That any who believes in he who died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, you have forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. And you are dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Look at what God does. Look at what our God has done. We need this sort of resurrection reliance. So that we can look at our circumstances and say, this feels like death. And if I had anybody else, it would be hopeless. But I have the God who raises the dead. That is hope. That is what we need. What a good God to teach us of his resurrection power. And as we look at circumstances around our own you know, culture or society, even our own families. And we look around and we say, well, who's going to raise the dead to life? Who could possibly do this? Who could possibly change these hearts? Who could possibly stir a desire for holiness? Who could possibly revitalize church? Who could possibly answer the bold prayers for lost people to come to faith in Christ? Who could possibly open the eyes of the blind or raise the dead to life? Who could rescue and redeem and reconcile? You see, learn and rely upon upon the God who raises the dead. We have every reason to trust in Him. 
We have every reason to trust in him all the more. That this is not about just one moment of of learning where we we learn our lesson through the difficulty and we turn around and that's it. No, we are learning not only to rely on the God who raises the dead, but to set your continual hope on the God who raises the dead. Because he says in verse 10, he says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. See, he rescued us from danger. He's done this before. Now, again, we have to be careful how we define our terms here. Because there are times where God rescues people from danger in a variety of ways. Sometimes he delivers people out of the danger itself by his own mercy. Sometimes he rescues people by gathering them to himself in death. Because he is the resurrection and the life. See, when you look at the lives of the Apostle Paul, as he's describing it here in 2 Corinthians, and you look at the life of Stephen, you can't look at Stephen in the book of Acts. You can't look at either one of them and say God didn't deliver them. God delivered both of them. But God delivered them in different ways. But see, this is where we are being led here. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. So the whole idea is for us to remember these times of God's faithfulness, to build this scrapbook in our hearts and in our minds, this photo album of sorts of God's faithfulness. And so that when those days of adversity show up, it's like you pull the scrapbook out and remember and start to look at the pictures. I remember when he answered those prayers. I remember when he cared. I remember when he gave answer the prayer that I lifted up for that child and it was absolutely impossible and he did it. I remember when he he gave wisdom when I did not know what to do and by his resurrection might he led me and taught me and showed me all those moments in our lives where we can look back and we can just say, oh, thank God. All of those things that we should have etched in our minds and reminded of because as we are reminded of his deliverance in the past, it encourages us of his power to deliver us in the future. He will deliver us us. It's not that we hope once. It's that we hope continually. We set our hope continually on the God who raises the dead. We need this, don't we? Because there's so much uncertainty everywhere. There's uncertainty in the grocery store. Every time I go to the cereal aisle, I'm like, what? Could it be that I'm reading this right? Think about economic issues, national politics. You think about an election year coming up. You think about the economy. You think about inflation. You think about all these things that we learn from the news all the time and we can look around and it just feels like death. Set your hope on the God who raises the dead. Set your hope on Him. He is the sure thing. And He says on Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. But I wonder as as we read this together, on whom have you set your hope? 
Could it be, perhaps, that some discouragement in your past is a derivative of misplaced hope? That you were hoping to get out of someone what only God can do. Set your hope on the God who raises the dead. And when you get there, you can live daringly with great expectations. That you can look around and say, well, well who, who's going to, I mean, here we are, and we're looking around, and who's going to reach these people with the gospel? Like, well, we've been given the gospel, we've been planted here, and here we are. Let's go, right? Who are we relying on to, to turn someone's heart? It's not the outline that we've memorized. It's not the stuff that we brought to the door. It's not the things that we sit down in the conversation. Who is it that we're relying on? Rely on the God who raises the dead. The same God who converted you is the same God who's mighty to convert anybody else. And all of a sudden, it stirs us to greater boldness as we walk in discipleship, as we seek to see the church of Christ built and are reminded that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do our lives reflect this kind of resurrection hope that he will deliver us again? Perhaps we, we won't experience the power of Christ the way we want to. But that doesn't mean we won't experience the power of Christ. Because we're being taught not to rely on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. Set your hope there. But notice, he says in verse 11, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He says, help us. Pray for us. Never be too ashamed to ask for help. I say that as a man who is often too ashamed to ask for help. I look at so many things in my own life and it's repeatedly this ongoing demonstration of I'll just do it, I'll just do it, I'll just do it. It's a terrible habit. Let's ask one another to pray for one another. That God would do more in His might than we could ever think possible. That we would admit our weakness and our inability and trust in God's strength and God's capability. Pray asking, knowing the God who raises the dead. But do our prayers for one another reflect this? That as we pray for the salvation of this loved one, are we praying with the thought in mind, I am asking the God who raises the dead to raise them to life. As we pray for one another who are sick and in need, pray with the thought in mind that we are resting and relying upon the God who raises the dead. Sometimes it's like we forget who we're talking to. And not only should we do this, but he says, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That we will have every reason for confidence and thankfulness to God. Because as we hear the news again, we hear the answers to the prayer requests. What happens? 
when we have prayer meeting on Wednesday nights and we sit down and we pray for one another and we take time, we sit around the table and we, actually, I mean, we, we really do pray. We'll lift up people that are navigating cancer and then all of a sudden God does some amazing thing and then all of a sudden we start to talk about it. Right? A few weeks later we start to talk about it. And what, what just naturally comes out of our mouths? Oh, thank God. Look at what he's done. Oh, thank God. Those times when we have cried out and prayed for sons and daughters to come to faith in Christ, and then finally, it's like the light just comes on and they trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and it's like with tears in your eyes, you can just look at the moment and say, thank God. When the prodigals return and they come home with tears in their eyes and repentance in their heart, and they say, I'm sorry, thank God. Marriages are healed and people are reconciled one to another and there's repentance and there's forgiveness. He says, you must help us by prayer, not simply so that we can be helped, but so that many will give thanks on our behalf. Because as they see God work over here, they're going to give thanks and they're going to trust Him over there. What a benefit we have that we go through this life together. What a benefit that we have that we get to walk in this together. The blessing granted us through the prayers of many God in His strength, God in His power. That God will encourage us as He answers our prayers. And it might just be here today that your circumstances provide the perfect context for that. You came in here thinking there's no way out. And the God who raises the dead looks at you and says, there's a way up. And he's it. Amen. What a God we have. May our difficulties lead us to set our continual hope on God. But as we end here today, I wonder what do you need to ask God to do with his resurrection power in your life? We'd be foolish to say any one of us doesn't have something to say. But perhaps you're here this morning and you need God to give life to a dead soul. And it's you. And all of a sudden, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you recognize that you have sinned against a righteous and holy God, that if you had to stand before Him right now and give account of your life, you would have nothing other than violation of His law and guilt, and you know it. You need to see, you need to open your eyes and see that it's not just conviction of sin that the Holy Spirit brings, but it is a reminder of the grave consequences that are set out in front of you. But the Holy Spirit also brings conviction concerning righteousness, that your only hope of righteousness is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That He came in the flesh, lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, went to the cross, endured the full outpouring of the wrath of the Father against our sin, died in our place, and three days later rose from the dead that we would 
be justified. Won't you see, perhaps you're here this morning and God is raising in your heart life that has never been there before. Trust in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, and walk out of here knowing you've experienced resurrection power here today. But for the rest of us in here who know Christ as Savior and Lord, it's not as though salvation in the moment of salvation is the last time we walk in this. Remember, this is a letter to a church. This is a letter to a bunch of believers. This is a call to remember, to rely upon the God who raises the dead. Maybe you finally need to cry out to God and pray for that loved one. Maybe you need to pray for somebody's salvation. Maybe you need to pray for God to mortify in you what needs to be removed and discarded from your own life. Some area of your life where you need transformation. Some area of your life where you need rescue and deliverance. Some display of his resurrection power. I wonder if you'll just go before him in prayer now. And watch and see how God answers prayer and the gratitude of the body of believers rises as we rely on the God who raises the dead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to do in us what you alone can. And Father, we pray for miraculous works of your grace here today. God, we pray for such clarity of conviction for the people who are here who have never trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That the light of your holiness would expose their sin, show them their need for Jesus, and that they would run to the foot of the cross here today and find hope and life and forgiveness through faith in Jesus. But Father, for every single one of us in here, many of us having walked and are walking in difficult days, teach us to rely upon you. Teach us to pray bold prayers and to live bold lives because we know the God who raises the dead. God, we ask that you would demonstrate resurrection power in our hearts and lives here now as we cry out to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.